Uh, may I be succinct as well tonight? I've been challenged um, in recent months how uh, we preachers can often pad things out. And Daniel Rowland, uh, one of the greatest preachers in Wales, 18th century Calvinistic Methodist pioneer, he only preached for 20 minutes. And James Montgomery Boyce, uh, who you may have heard of, he's gone to glory now, uh, he was once asked uh, if uh, his sermon uh, could uh, be recorded and uh, broadcast on radio, I think it was radio, uh, and they were going to edit uh, about 40 minutes of a sermon, down to 20 minutes. And he was able to listen to it before it went out. And he couldn't work out what they'd cut out. <laughs> and so his point was, if you can say in 20 minutes what you need 40 minutes to say, uh, then you should keep to 20 minutes. Uh, so having said all of that, I just hope I won't be long-winded tonight. Uh, we're in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're looking at some very important but very challenging verses to do with our spiritual battle. Uh, many uh, evangelicals, I don't think, place enough emphasis on the fact we're in uh, a battle. So let's read uh, Peter here. Verse 8 of 1 Peter 5. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks or prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Now, last time we started looking at this and we made a very important point. We need to know who our enemy is. And our enemy is none other than the devil. Uh, he is not as powerful as the Son of God. He doesn't know all of our thoughts. He isn't everywhere. Uh, he uh, isn't uh, omnipotent, but he is more powerful than we are. So we, we must take him seriously. And then we looked at knowing his tactics, his strategy and his tactics. Paul said we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. And two things we mentioned last time, just as a lion prowls around silently looking for its prey, so the devil can uh, be an angel of light and silently uh, he can look for ways to trap us. He can ambush us. And then, of course, the roar of the lion, the attack, and Satan uh, can be like that, a full-on attack. And we need... Uh, to be prepared for that. So this evening, uh, all I want us to do is to look at how do we deal with these attacks of Satan. And it's in verse 9. Resist. Resist him. Um, there's a phrase, isn't there? Resistance is futile. Um, I think it was the Borgs who said that. In Star Trek, resistance is useless or something like that. It's not true when it comes to the spiritual battle. James says in a parallel passage, resist the devil. Do you know what he says after? And he will flee from you. Resistance in the spiritual battle is not futile. It's in many ways the core of uh, the battle. 
Now then, what is it to resist? How do I do it? It's not something passive. Now, for years, I thought that to resist the devil meant I just kind of put my uh, uh, hands over my head and just waited until the attack had passed. There is an element of that. Sometimes when the attack is really vicious, that's all we can do. But the word for resist here, it's the same word that is used of the magicians. You know, when uh, Moses performed the miracles in Egypt... And then Pharaoh's magicians, up to a point, performed similar miracles. And Paul says to Timothy, uh, they resisted Moses. And the word resist doesn't just mean something passive, it means being active. And that's what we need to look at tonight. How can we resist these attacks of the devil in a positive, in uh, an active way? We must not just be on the defense, but on the attack. How do we do that? Well, let me just give you a few practical points. Uh, Don't cower in fear. Maybe there's a Welsh tendency to be defeatist, to give up in our minds before we even begin. Don't do that. Resistance is not futile. But then, what does it mean? Well, we looked at this last time, but this is part of resisting now. It means we're vigilant. Christian, seek not yet repose, rest. There's no relaxing in the spiritual battle. Cast thy dreams of ease away. Thou art in the midst of foes. What do you do? Watch and pray. Be on your guard. Now, what does that mean? Well, surely part of it is knowing ourselves wasn't that one of the philosophers uh, statements know thyself know what your weaknesses are Uh, the puritans used to say we all have our besetting sin we all have a weak spots it might be towards sexual immorality it might be towards covetousness it doesn't matter really what it is what we need to do is to be aware of it And then what we need to do is avoid those situations that cause us to be tempted. Now, we might be accused here of being legalistic, but it's not legalism, is it? It's spiritual common sense. If I know uh, that uh, reading a certain book causes me to be tempted in a certain way, then I'm a fool if I do that. I avoid it or going to a certain place. If that causes me to be tempted, maybe another Christian is fine going there and there's nothing wrong in going there. But if it causes me to be tempted, then I avoid it as the plague. Now, isn't that just spiritual common sense? Uh, There's a saying, prevention is better than cure. So so there's no point in me uh, praying that the Lord will deliver me from temptation if I'm not watching against temptation I think it's hypocritical uh, to to do that. So so this is really the first point. Know yourself. Know your weak spots. Can I say, know your strengths? Isn't that how Satan got to Abraham? What was Abraham's strength? Abraham was known as the father of the faithful. The man who had great faith. How did Satan come to him? Satan transformed himself into an angel of light and caused Abraham to lie or ask Sarah, his wife, to lie. It was in his strength that he was attacked. So 
So you've got to be on guard. Pray for, for us as pastors. We're on the front line that, that we would be vigilant, but that you as a congregation as well, we would all be watching. So that's the first thing. Very, very simple, but often something we forget. And then what else do we do? We watch. And then we put on the whole armor of God. That's why I read from Ephesians chapter 6. This is a spiritual battle. We've got to use spiritual weapons. And God has provided that for us. Uh, if you've never read Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on The Christian Soldier, I can thoroughly recommend that. Uh, one of the most helpful pieces in terms of the spiritual battle. Oh, I haven't got time to go through uh, some of these things, but let me just mention one or two items. Uh, having the helmet of salvation on. What is that? Protecting your mind. How prone we are to go according to our feelings and the devil then can come to us. Watch your mind. And then what about uh, the uh, sword of the Spirit? The only offensive weapon. All the other uh, armor pieces are defensive. But the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. We'll come to that in a moment. But if we're not reading the Bible uh, daily, then we're opening ourselves uh, to uh, be defeated. Um, can I use this illustration? <laughs> I'm trying to fortify myself against catching a cold. I've got a bit of a sore throat tonight, so I don't know if it's working. But every day I've been religiously, even evangelically, taking my multivitamins, effervescent multivitamins. I'm trying to guard myself against infection. And my friends, to put on the spiritual armor means that we use the sword of the spirit daily. I'm fortifying myself, even if it's only a few minutes exposure to the word. I don't want to be open to an attack and to fall. And what about prayer in terms of the gospel armor? It's not an item of armor, is it prayer? What is prayer? Prayer is our attitude. Put on the gospel armor. Eat peace. Put on with prayer we're not depending on our own strength Arthur Neal uh, one of the most helpful of people in dealing with the spiritual battle his books are not always easy to read but he, he fought in the second world war and he used this illustration you've got two places in the battle in a uh, a battle in the world and in the spiritual battle. You've got the front line where you're facing the enemy. And we are on the front line. The pastors are maybe right on the front line. But then other Christians are foot soldiers. We're all together fighting the enemy. And it's hard. But then you've got further back the headquarters. Or HQ, as Arthur Neal would call it. And there's got to be communication between the front line and the headquarters, the soldiers on the front line aren't going to win the battle unless they're in constant communication with headquarters. What's that? That is prayer. Where is the front line? The front line is here in this world. Where is our headquarters? Our headquarters is in heaven. That's where the Lord Jesus is, the man Christ Jesus. But he's also by his spirit with us on the front line. I am with you always. 
Isn't that encouraging? But we're not going to win any battles unless we're in communication with headquarters. I like that. Prayer. Prayer is the battle. Think of Moses interceding on the mountain. Joshua in the valley fighting the Amalekites. As long as Moses held his arms up in intercession, Joshua won over the enemy. If Moses dropped his arms in exhaustion, the enemy overcame Joshua. Aaron and her uh, each stood uh, under Moses' arms and held them up, helping him. Oh, I need your prayers. If Paul needed prayer in Ephesians 6, how much more do we need Oh, we need prayer. So, watch. Be on your guard. Know yourself. Put on the gospel armor. And then uh, Peter mentions something else. Maybe we can miss this. Resist him. Keep on resisting. Paul in Ephesians 6. Stand in the power of the Lord and in his might. And having done all, what do you do? You keep on standing uh, I don't know much history but I came across the illustration um, the battle against Napoleon the climactic battle was at Waterloo wasn't it I got that right and the Duke of Wellington he said that the British soldiers at the battle of Waterloo they defeated Napoleon and his army do you know why not because they were better not because they were braver but because they were braver for five minutes longer. <laughs> I like that. They stood just for that bit longer, and that gave them a victory. And isn't that where we often fail? We begin to think that the devil is going to get the better of us, and we begin to just yield a bit of ground to him and say, it's just a small one, it'll help. But oh no, we're to stand. We're not to give him an inch. And my friends, if we keep on standing, even if it's just a few minutes longer, it might give us that victory. We need a dose of moral courage, don't we? We're a bunch of wimps today in the West. Uh, we just need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and to keep on standing. May God give us grace. Um, when I think of... Uh, some ministers in our land, I really admire them because they're still standing. Uh, oh, may God enable us, if he gives us those years in decades from now, to be still standing. That's no small feat. So, so those are some of the things in resisting the devil. It's not just passive, it's active. But then there's something else, isn't there? And this is what I want to concentrate on because it's quite difficult. Look again at the verse, verse 9 in 1 Peter 5. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Now, dear me, what is that? Resist him in the faith. Now, what's in the faith? It doesn't mean in your faith, your subjective trust in Jesus Christ. The faith here means the objective truth of the gospel. So what, what do I do if I'm to resist the devil? I put my helmet of salvation on <laughs> and I am resisting him in the truths of the gospel. Do you get that? 
So I may be feeling rotten. It doesn't matter. I am depending on these objective truths of the gospel. This is how one commentator put it. I think this is a helpful illustration. Just as David took his stand against Goliath and trusted in the name of Jehovah, so we take our stand against Satan in the victorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not our experience that's going to help us withstand, but the glorious name of Jesus Christ. And you know what David had? He didn't have much. He had five stones and a sling. Uh, And in a way, that's all we have as a weapon. We've got the word of God. I'm using my imagination here. I'm trying not to let it run riots. But I just want to mention five stones of the word of God. Five verses I found helpful. If the devil comes to you, uh, talk back to him, as Tozer used to say. Uh, Don't argue with him. Don't reveal your innermost thoughts to him. He doesn't need to know them. But quote verses from scripture at him isn't that what jesus christ did when he was tempted in the wilderness here are five smooth stones that you can use uh, to attack the devil i've already mentioned one resist the devil and he will flee from you if he comes to you and attacks you in an intense way tell him that the word of god promises that he will run away eventually see what effect that has Another smooth stone. I like this one. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful. Satan, you're a liar. God is faithful who will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I can bear. Isn't that lovely? You see, God allows us to enter into temptation so that the muscles of our faith are strengthened. And he's not going to allow us to reach breaking points. What a a lovely promise. And then another stone. He who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. You know, I remember uh, growing up in the 70s and 80s, and I can remember older people, older religious people, they were saying, oh, it's a terrible time. Things are really degenerate today. Uh, Young people, oh, they're so, uh, so prone to all sorts of temptation. That was in the 70s and 80s. And now that I've got a bit older, I'm saying that myself now, (laughs) of young people growing up today. It's always been bad. You know, I'm not belittling how difficult things are today, but greater is he that is in us than all the hosts of hell put together. Who cares if Jesus is with us? And then another promise. You know this one. We are. Not we will be. Uh, The victor's song we sang about, it's not in the future. It can be now. For we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Romans 8, 37. And then one more. I don't know if all of you will know this. The God of peace. Satan isn't really a man of peace, is he? The God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Brilliant. (laughs) The devil is a defeated foe. Uh, He's on a leash. 
He hasn't got long. Maybe that's why he's so vicious. His time is short. One day, all of the devil and his demons will be cast into the lake of fire. So in the faith, resist Satan. But let's get a bit deeper into this. We resist him especially standing on the gospel. Uh, What am I referring to here? I'm referring to the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the cross is? The cross is a victory over the devil. Um, There's a Welsh hymn, isn't there, which talks about uh, though two had wounds, their conquered one, and Jesus is his name. Uh, One commentator uses this illustration, and it's a brilliant illustration. The cross is the D-Day of the spiritual battle. Those of you who remember the Second World War, uh, the Normandy landings on D-Day was really the beginning of the end for the Nazis. Uh, The back of the enemy had been broken. It wouldn't be long before V-Day, final victory, and Jesus' death on the cross was our D-Day. He gave the death blow to Satan by dealing with our sin. The days yet to come. That will be the second coming of Jesus Christ when he will cast the devil uh, into judgment. Oh, what a prospect. We're living in that in-between time. The cross. And there's more. Jesus didn't stay on the cross. His body wasn't in the tomb for long. He rose and he ascended. And do you know what happened when he ascended? He was welcomed into heaven as a conqueror. And the devil and his enemies were under his feet. Now, that's brilliant. Thine be the glory, risen conquering king. Endless is the victory. Thou or death hast won. But where are we spiritually? You'll need to follow me here now. (laughs) Do you know where you are spiritually at this moment? You're in this church, I know. (laughs) But you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Isn't that amazing? And if the devil and his foes are under Christ's feet, they're under our feet as well. Wow. Wow. I can fight from that position. Have, have you seen some of the Welsh hill forts? Um, Aberystwyth. Do you know why Aberystwyth is called Aberystwyth? It's not on the Ystwyth, it's on the Rheidol. It should be called Aberrydol, shouldn't it? But originally, Aberystwyth was built on the Ystwyth because the first part of Aberystwyth is Pendinas hill forts. The ancient Celts used to build their settlements, their forts, on top of a hill. Do you know why? Because they would gain vantage points. They wouldn't just see the enemy approaching from a distance. But as soon as the enemy would try to attack, the enemy would be at a disadvantage. Because uh, the Celtic people would be attacking uh, over them. And my friends, that's where we are in the spiritual battle. We are on the top, as it were, because we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And whenever Satan comes to us, even if he comes as a roaring lion, he's coming from below. And we then can have the victory through Jesus Christ. I'm dealing with things here that are very high. I didn't come to realize them until 
many years after I was converted. But listen to this. This is Corrie ten Boom. She wrote Tramp for the Lord. That's a good title, isn't it? Don't you want to be a tramp for the Lord? I, I wouldn't mind being a tramp in that sense. He, uh, she puts this. Many missionaries do not know about two precious weapons. Do you know what they are? The power of the blood of Jesus. That's the cross, his victory on the cross. And every Christian's legal right to use the... I can't understand my writing here. Every Christian's legal right to use the wonderful name of Jesus to cast out demons. Two weapons, the blood, the name of Jesus. Now, aren't we in a missionary setting now in the West? And Reformed evangelicals are a bit uneasy about talking about spiritual battles and things. But I think Corrie Ten Boom is spot on. Have you realized you've got these two weapons? I know we've got the armor of God and we've got the sword of the Spirit and those verses I've mentioned. But beyond that, we can... Show the blood to the devil, the accuser of the brethren. When he sees the blood, he runs away. Oh, listen to um, John Newton. Uh, he helped William Cooper so much. And I think from that experience, he was able to write these words. This is one of the brilliant uh, hymns. We can't sing it as a congregation. It's too personal. Have you had this experience? Bow down beneath the load of sin by Satan sorely pressed. Is that somebody here tonight? By wars without and fears within, what do I do? I don't just resist in a passive manner. I go to Christ. I come to thee, Jesus, for rest. Be thou my shield and hiding place that sheltered near thy side. I may my fierce accuser face and tell him, thou, Christ, has died. The blood, the blood. O oh, wondrous love, to bleed and die, to bear the cross, and shame, what we were looking at this morning, that guilty sinners such as I might plead, what? That gracious name, the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. I'm winding down here, but I've been privileged to visit parts of the world where the spiritual atmosphere is more charged. I said to one missionary once, uh, you know, uh, things must be really tough where you are uh, because the devil is really attacking. And he said, yes, he is. But here in the West, he's probably got the upper hand because in a more subtle way, he's got us in a state of spiritual sleep. But you know, I've been in situations. I think one case I've come across in Andhra Pradesh of a person demon-possessed. And you feel so powerless, but you've got a name, the name of Jesus Christ. My friend, I say this with all seriousness. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ when you are being oppressed by the devil. And he will flee. He hates the name of Jesus Christ. If you want to know if a person is really demon-possessed, quotes the name of Jesus Christ, and the person will get so agitated. That's the test. We're going to sing in a minute, at the name of Jesus, Satan's hosts doth flee. What a privilege. 
that we are on the winning side. And one day, we will have V-Day. <laughs> Aren't you looking forward to that? One day, our king will come back and he will vindicate his people. One day. It doesn't look at the moment as if we're on the winning side. It looks as if the devil is in control, but he's not. Spiritually, we are already seated with Christ, with the devil under our feet. Realize that. Half the battle is in the mind, I think. And go on from that position of strength to resist actively using these things. And may we know victories from victory to victory. May we know an advance in the things of Jesus Christ. You know, we may lose a number of battles, but that brings us back to Jesus, doesn't it? Spurgeon, I think, said, uh, the devil in the end is nothing but a big black dog that drives us to Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? <laughs> Let him roar. Uh, maybe we'll be attacked this week after trying to deal with these things. Let him roar because it'll just drive us to the bosom of our Saviour. May the protection of the blood of Jesus Christ be upon every one of you here. And remember, you've got that name and you've got that cross uh, for his name's sake. Amen.